There are tears on my pillow that won't dry on the road beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. I'd like to invite Ronnie up to have our joke. Ronnie. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I'm Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. All right. So a priest, a Baptist, and a rabbi walk into a bar and start getting sloshed. They decide that they need to test their faith to see which one is the best. They decide the ultimate challenge is to see if they can convert a bear. So the next day, they all go out into the woods to try and meet up again at the bar that night. The priest comes in with a broken arm and scratches all over his body and smilingly says, I had, a, I had to run around the bear and read him the entire Bible, but he saw the light and he was converted. The Baptist is on crutches with two broken legs and a broken arm and his head all bandaged. He says, I had to wrestle that bear to the ground and baptize him in the stream, but he saw the light and he was converted. Hallelujah. Then the rabbi gets wheeled in a full body cast. He says, you know, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have started with circumcision. <clears throat> Hey, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise and that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right. Let's start the meditation.
please join me in the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, it's up here on the screen. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Javier to come up here and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Javier. We are alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation, Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. And now it's my privilege to introduce our speaker. That speaker has a very sparkling personality. 
and, and in addition, knows a heck of a lot about recovery and the big book uh, and other books from experience. So welcome, Doc. Doc Alcoholic. Hi, Doc. It is nice to be loved. <laughs> you know, I mean, think how many times we used to show up places and they would go like, oh. <laughs> Doc's here. Oh, crap. <clears throat> there goes all the booze and all the coke and all the money. Hide everything, right? You know? Get a hold of your sister. Everything. <laughs> and I never thought it was bad. In fact, it, 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 it's funny because an alcoholic's pride is a weird thing, right? You know, we have this, we have this, this pride that, that is overinflated to compensate for this feeling of, of being less than everybody else, right? And so I know when I'm getting ready to go out on Friday night to find a house party that I'm lower than, you know, shark poop on the bottom of the ocean, as low as you can get. And so I have to inflate that a lot bigger, so when I show up at the house, I'm the most important guy there, you know? And they know all this is fake. They know that's just an inflated shirt. But without it, I'm this guy, you know? And I can't, when I would show up at those parties, keg parties, and I was uh, in high school and college in Albuquerque, New Mexico, breaking back. Right? All those places are absolutely real places that I have spent many hours, and that's why I couldn't watch it when it was actually being broadcast. I had to wait until we're at this state where we are now that you can binge watch anything you want. But back when it first came out, you had to wait every week, and I knew I couldn't do that. So I just, because I was looking at all my old haunts, and like, I, you know, I even knew, you know, Jackie, the, the, the prostitute at the Town & Country Hotel. That is, that's all real, you know. And, and there's nothing to do in that town. Certainly in the, in the 70s and 80s, so they had keg parties everywhere. And I remember getting ready for them. I don't want to go. I hope we can't find it. This is off. And as soon as I got there, I knew I had to drink about a gallon of beer. Because I'm pretty big. And so a, a cup, we, we didn't even have red, red cups weren't, you know, the end thing then. It was just like plastic cups, and those were way too small. Those are like beer shot glasses, right? And then you had to wait in line to get a beer, so it's like I'd go gloop and go to the back line. It wouldn't work. So I always went through, I don't care whose house it was, yours or yours or yours or I started going through your house to find a mug that was big enough for me, like a gallon-sized beer mug. Right? So either the thing, the, the half-gallon thing you make Kool-Aid in, or in a, in a really tough pitch like the coffee maker. It would work, right? But I knew I'd have to get like two of those down to quit being that, that worthless soul, right? And then a couple of those pitchers in me, and then I'd be, you know, sparkling and effervescent. <laughs> You know, then all the women loved me and all the guys loved me and I was, you know, funny and bulletproof. It was great, you know. The best part was almost everybody else there was experiencing the same thing. So we were all wonderful people back then. It was great. 
And then I get sober. And they go, look at your life. <laughs> it's unmanageable. It's broken. It's not, you know, I'm doing a big book study on, on Monday nights also over at Fourth Dimension. And, and we're reading Bill's story. And at one point he goes, you know, it was dark, depressive. I was broken. Alcohol had broken me. Which is the definition of unmanageable, right? Not mismanaged, but unmanageable. If I have a car and the steering mechanism is unmanageable, you can't drive it. It's broken. It's not like, well, you just got to steer left when you want to go right. You can't drive it. It's, I couldn't live. So I come in here and thank God they showed me all 12 at once. Because if they only showed me one at a time, if this was like some weird cult monastery where they came in and you had to graduate up, I wouldn't have made it. One would have been so depressing, I'd have just gone home and got a bottle of gin and a 38 and put on a Reverend Horton Heat album and shoot myself. <laughs> you don't know who Reverend Horton Heat is. There's a great song called Loaded Gun. <laughs> and it's about a bottle of gin and losing your sweet little family that you had drowned in. Of gin, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dance tune. <laughs> but a slow dance tune. So it says, Can we believe a power greater than us? And we realize that, okay, that this belief system also has something to do with reason, and we talk about that, and how our brains are like, I'm going to figure this out. Even though I said I'm powerless, my brain is still going, What do I have to do? I have to go to meetings. I have to do, you know, they make up rules outside of these rooms. And I said it Monday night, every meeting is autonomous, every meeting can have whatever rule they want. Every meeting can read what they want, every meeting can say, uh, if, if you uh, like to cut your hair short and wear argyle, uh, raise your hand, these are the people you should look for sponsors. Every meeting can make up that rule if they want, right? But AA as a whole, we don't have any of those rules. We don't have any 90 and 90 day rules. We don't have any you-can-date-somebody-at-a-certain-time rule. We don't have any of those rules. We don't care about that, right, as a whole, as a group. What we care about is this stuff, is that you do this stuff, and that you put everything you have into it. So, so we find out that we, we can come to that spiritual shore, but there's a gap between our reason, what we're thinking about, what we can do, and, and where God's going to be. Right? And so we kind of let go, and that we didn't, we didn't cover it, but the big book even has a prayer that helps us let go and float right over there. And then we see this door, right? Very symbolic. And we're gonna, there's a key, and one key to open the door is willingness. We have willingness. And where does the willingness come from? It comes from an open mind, right? I have an open mind to go, okay, I need proof that this stuff works. Imagine this. Imagine you're Bill Wilson. And you've tried everything. And you went from being a high-rolling millionaire guy, playing golf and drinking all day, to seeing the stock market crash and your clients jump out of windows, and now you and your wife are couch surfing. Right? And, and you are at that loaded gun and gin point. And you don't have this. And you get sober with a friend who goes, hey, I, I've got some ideas. And then you start working on this, and a couple years go by, and you're helping people, but they keep relapsing.
So you don't know anything. You don't know if this will work. Am I just doing this on my own, or is God helping me, or what's going on? Right? We don't have we don't have any of those doubts. We know this works. There are millions of people behind this. I have personally next month will be thirty years of success with just this. Right? It's a God that we know. And and the book says, well, you want proof? Look around the room. Those people are sober because they're doing this. So you have to have enough faith to get to a path that will take you to faith. Well, how do you do that? I have to have an open mind. Right? Is it possible? That's how the book says it into the agnostic. We agnostics. Can you believe that there might possibly be if you can't believe it now, can you in the future believe that maybe possibly there's a power greater than yourself that might do what no human being could do? Yeah, I can believe that. I'm open-minded enough to believe that. Good, good, good. So then, then you have willingness. And that willingness will unlock the door. It's a key. Opens the door. There's a path. There's a sign that says, this is the way to a faith that works. And we get to four. Made of searching. Okay, that's a, that's a harsh word. And fearless, it's worse. <laughs> and moral, I have no idea what that word is. <laughs> inventory, oh yeah, I, I, I hear people making jokes about inventory. That means if I'm critical of somebody, I'm, I'm taking their inventory. That's good. Somebody sent me a great picture of the Dosekis uh, guy. And he says, I don't always take inventories, but when I do, I take them. <laughs> Which is great, I, you know. I have the world taking my inventory, right? Uh, because I'm, I'm out there in the world. Of ourselves. Crap, I have no idea what that means. And then when I look it up, it shows me lists that are about some crazy dude named Mr. Brown. Right? And, it, and, and everything is just too cool. <laughs> But I had this urge to put it in my nose for some reason. <laughs> I never used. That would have been a great idea. I never did that. But a curly, a curly straw would have been a, an awesome idea. I would probably still be known for that if I had done that. I'm known for other things. Alright, so, so, so now the, the, the 12 and 12 says... By the way, this step is so much more than what those words are. If we go through the big book and the 12 and 12, we could do easily 10 to 12 weeks just on what's in this book. Just on this step alone. There is so much wonderful stuff that shows me what I'm made of as an alcoholic all the way down to my DNA. It shows me where my soul is. It shows me where my spirit is. It shows how they interact. It's all amazing. And then it shows me how to take all of that and apply it to a relationship with human beings and then a relationship to God. All of that is in step four. And I'm going to save some of that because step four is also woven in with step six very well and step ten a lot. What you said? <laughs> I'll give you the page numbers as we go through that. Um, but that's why you read the whole thing. You read it as a whole. Right? Because this is one thing. It's divided into twelve to make it look easy for people who don't want to do work. Right? Which is us. It's us. If I came in and showed you one thing and didn't number that, and went, this is what you have to do, you get through about the second sentence, you go, I'm lost. Right? So they made it easy. 
They made, God made it easy. Um, the 12 and 12 says, we can never get to that faith that works. We can ne- it's always out of reach if we're holding on to these resentments. Resentments, wait a minute, nobody said anything about resentments on this list. What is this? Where does it say resentments on there? It doesn't. What does in this big book? Thank God they wrote that down. Right? Because if that's all we had to do, oh man, think about think about how many in 75 to 85 years, how many different sects of Alcoholics Anonymous there could be. If it was just based on the interpretation of the 12. But no, we're we're so blessed that not only did they write the big book, but then they wrote the 12 and 12. Help us understand the big book. Right? It's great. So, so inventory, I don't understand what that is. Resentments, where does that come from? So we go to like page 66 in the big book, right? And it starts talking about this stuff. First of all, what is a resentment? Well, I've heard this, and this is pretty close. This is a good attempt. I heard somebody at a meeting say, well, it's easy, I can break it apart. Read, means to do it again, right? Like repeat, right? Renew. Reza is a a prefix that that needs to do over. And sent is the past uh, tense of sent. Not quite. It is a good guess. Good guess. Uh, But it's not. It's senti, right? And senti is where we get sentient, right? Which is that you know that you're alive. It's where we get the word sense, right? So it means to feel. And often resentment... Uh, when you put it together and, and what it meant originally was to feel pain over and over again. Ooh. I understand that. In fact, I love feeling pain over and over again. And if I can do it publicly, all the better. Right? Right? So then you can feel my pain. Why else would I try to hurt someone I love except that I want to share my pain? Right? I want them to understand. You silly B word. Right? Why did you call me that? I didn't call you that. I said you were acting like one. I didn't say you were one. Right? We're wicked. We're mean. We think our wit is like a rapier. Man, I am so funny when I hurt people. Right? I am so funny when I come down on them like that. And why would we do that? Okay, so it comes from all of this stuff. How many people, I was talking to Joel on the way here, right? How many people, don't raise your hand. Because <laughs> you don't want to be identified for anything in this program. Right? You raise your hand, you'll be serving donuts. You know, you'll be making coffee. Don't raise your hand, you'll be doing something, right? But how many of you have ever felt really honest, justifiable anger, right? I hope every hand would go up if I'd have said, because I know every time I felt anger, it was justifiable, right? I don't know of any other kind of anger except that which is justifiable. And like I was telling Joel, I am am Batman. I am the knight. I am justice. I am righteousness, right? If I see a wrong being done and I'm angry, I am the hammer of God. I am right to be angry. And if you're doing it to me, doubly so. Right? I stick my nose in everyone's business because I know what justice is. And I stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. 
which means I know more than anybody. Right? It's crazy, our thinking. Right? And the book later goes, hey, we're not telling you not to be angry. We're just telling you that, like heroin, anger probably should be left to those who can handle it. Right? Because anger is a lot like heroin. It is. You do. You just do one little ego. I'm not going to shoot it up or nothing. I'm just a little snip. Oh, man. I like this anger stuff. F you. I'm doing a little more. In fact, this time I think I'll just burn it and chase the dragon just to get the smoke. Oh, now I'm feeling the anger, right? It's burning. I'm good. Okay, I will shoot up a little anger, right? And now I'm so angry. I need a little happiness. I know, self-pity. So I'll do an eight ball of self-pity and anger. Mix that together, and man, what a wonderfully fun night that is. Right? See, think just for a minute, the last time you mixed a good amount of soap anger. It's good, man. Excellent. Drug of choice. And we will never reach that faith that we need that works if we have it. We will never meet. Every drug we've ever done is less prohibited to reaching that faith than, than, than that anger and self-pity and self-righteousness. It's worse. Much worse. And it'll destroy your life as badly, if not worse, than any drug or alcohol you've ever taken. Right? Because if you're sober and you're still living like that, you're a monster. At least when you were drunk like that, you were sedated, right? And at some point, we prayed to God you would pass out. But sober, you're a juggernaut that way. Me too. We can't. We need something in there. What do we need? Okay, you got step four up there. Good. We need this word, moral. Oh, man. So where does that word come from? It comes from the doctor's opinion, right? Moral philosophy. What's that? Oh, it's way more than we can talk about. It's ethics, right? As soon as you say ethics, you go back to ancient Greece, we're gone, right? We're buried in trying to figure out Socrates and Aristotle and Plato for days, right? So we're not going to go there. Uh, we will go to, uh, um, I forgot his name. Hmm. Oh, yes, Kohlberg. And Kohlberg took what moral philosophy was this. It's real simple, and, and I'm going to tell you why we need it. Um, early on, and even today, I was talking to my dad. My dad's not an alcoholic, right? He just doesn't quite understand. I got a brother-in-law who was court-ordered to go to AA. So he went for two years. I go, well, how's so-and-so doing? I'm not going to say any names, right? How's so-and-so doing? Well, you know, he's fine now. <laughs> Does he go to meetings? No, but he's okay. Okay, none of my business, man, right? They don't understand. They think it's a moral problem. They think if we had better ethics, right? They think if we could just apply some goodness, is what, what Dr. Silkworth says, if we could somehow apply goodness to our life, we wouldn't make the decisions to hurt others by drinking. And, and we don't know how that... So, so if I say, what is moral? 
And then I give you like uh, the Heinz question, right? Which is, okay, a, a guy's wife is dying. He goes to the pharmacist. He has a cure. The pharmacist says it's very expensive. The guy doesn't have the money. The pharmacist says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I need to make a lot of money. It took me a long time to get this cure. The guy says, but my wife is going to die. He says, I can't help you. He says, can I pay you later? No. Can I work out a plan? No. So the guy goes home. The pharmacist locks up. The guy comes back at night, breaks in, steals the cure, and saves his wife's life. So the ethical question is, was the guy who broke in and stole it morally right? Now you'll go, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no. Then I can change that question and say, what if it was a guy he hated Right? And that's in there. Yes, no, 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 yes. What if it wasn't his wife who was dying? It was just a stranger. Is he still morally right? Well, yes, yes. Okay, so if there's a different answer for every one of those questions, morality doesn't change. Right? Morality is like truth. I know there's this wave of people younger than anyone in this room. This is a pretty young room. That's good. But really young people that go, no, truth is all subjective, man. Your truth and my truth are different. No, no. Even in Rick and Morty, truth is still truth, right? Here's, here's something to think about. If you took all of the whole numbers you know, one, and added them together, plus two, plus three, plus four, plus five, plus six, plus seven, plus eight, plus nine, and went on, to infinity, the answer would be equals what? No, it's close. it sounds good. Or 10 to the infinite power, sounds good. No, it's negative 1 12th. What? Yeah, and it's easy to prove without being a mathematician. It's really easy with some very simple algebra because it includes infinity. And here's the other cool thing. That right there is not just a mathematical magic trick, which it is, by the way, to take all those whole numbers and it equals negative one-twelfth. What the hell? But they find that in physics, in nature, happening all the time. And, and, and it has nothing to do with infinity. It has to do with the negative one-twelfth. Well, why do you bring that up? Because that's the truth. Because it doesn't matter what you think 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 is going to be. The truth is it equals negative 1 12. How do you know that? Well, it can be proved, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's not subjective. So morality is the same way. So if we all have different answers, why? Why? Because um, Kohlberg said there are six different levels of morality based into three different things. And we're not going to get all into them. All right? I'm just going uh, to basically touch... On, on a couple of them, all right? Because they're broken into three. There's the, the pre-moral, there's the conventional moral, and there's the post-conventional. Let's go this way. Uh, the pre-moral, the, the conventional, and then the post-conventional. So pre-moral is like children, right? Children follow rules always. That's it. So if you ask the children the Heinz question, they say, no, he stole. That's it. Okay, that's great. But that's a morality level. That's a level of morality. Okay? The reason we get all these different answers is because we are on different levels of the steps of morality. After you leave these two pre-steps, we come into just conventional morality. 
Conventional morality, there are two steps, and, and, and it's just uh, the good boy, good girl is one step, and, and that just means if you, if you do good, you'll be treated good, right? And that's the morality there, right? And the other is uh, law and order, and law and order is what they use on all of us all the time. The reason this is ethical, the reason this is moral, is because without this, there'd be chaos. Okay, that's fine. But you and I, I'm not here for 30 damn years to try to learn to quit drinking. I learned to quit drinking the day before I ever went to an AA meeting. I learned to quit drinking because I heard a voice in my head that said, get down on your knees and ask God to remove it. And I'll do this and this and this for you. And I thought it was a lie. I thought it was a a hallucination. And so I did it. Resentfully, I did it. It was removed, and I haven't had a drink or a drug since that night. And the next day, I went to an AA meeting, right? Why am I here then? Well, because you to give it away. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not up here to help you. I, I am, but I've still got a, a motivation underneath that. And that motivation is I want to lift myself up to another lo- level morally, right? I want to get to a higher level. I... I Step six, that's why I say this works into step six. Step six says we aim at perfection, right? We don't expect to hit it. When we miss the mark, the Greek word for missing the mark is, guess what? Sin, right? Which, step six says, or our defects of character. Oh, right? It all starts blending. All right, so the moral, I want to get above this conventional morality. I want to get to the other two. Most people never get to step five. Very, very few get to six, right? Step five is the uh, social contract, which means suddenly, which is what we all have to do to, to, to not only maintain sobriety, but to maintain a spiritual level that will allow us to have that conscious contact with God, is this next moral level. That's why we're making a moral inventory. That's why I feel it's important to do this repeatedly through our lives. Practice these principles in all our affairs. Not just, I did the steps once, I'm done. Okay, that's good for you and your sponsor, great. But I'm saying, every day, all the time. Everything here. These are all the things my soul needs to stay well. So I'm not going to let my soul starve because I drop out and I, you know, I took a vitamin once. What do I need, right? I went to a retreat once, right? I went to the gym once. No, no, no. It's, it's 24 hours. 24 hours. One day at a time, right? Over and over. So I want to get post-conventional, the first level social contract is when I put you before me. Right? Now, that's not going to happen at four because I'm still number one. I come in here, it's me, most important. Man, I went to some meetings this week and I heard so much crap. And it's, it's, I, I'm so blessed that I no longer feel the need to, like, directly address shares anymore with, like, I'll take that, Mike. <laughs> That's bullshit, right? I don't need to do that anymore. Pardon me. I just need to share some positive seeds that maybe it'll take. But I've heard, like, you know, Everybody has a solution. I need to hear all your solutions so I can find what to do. Well, we just read it, right? Chris just read it. There is one common solution. There's only one. You don't need to find it. It's all right here, right? 
I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to love myself. I hear that so often. I need to love myself before I can love you. Man, I spent my whole life loving myself. I thought I was a piece of crap. Nobody had loved me, so I did it. And I treated myself well. I kept myself loaded all the time, right? I laid in bed, you know? I laid in your bed. I lived on your couch. God help you if you dated me one night. Because I'm not, my boots are still under your bed a week later. Like, baby, you got it. No, 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 no. We're in love. Right? Horrible self-centeredness. Five changes that, by the way, because it puts God first, right? God, ourselves, that's me, and then others. But when I come in here, it's me, others, and God. By the time I get to 12, look at this. It's, it's having a spiritual awakening, that's God, right? As a result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics, that's others. And then what? And then to practice these principles in all other affairs. That's me. I'm third. That's where I have to be. Right? So that social contract is a higher moral level where suddenly you're more important than me. That's what step four is all about. The highest one, by the way, is the universal ethical principle. That's where I treat everyone better than me. I seek to serve. That's what page 77 says, right? Says, page 77 says, our real purpose is to be best fitted, outfitted, to be of maximum service to God and to those about us. If you're too young to understand what about means, it means around, right? It's just, it, it is, it's kind of archaic writing. Those about us, I don't know what that means. No, it means those around us, right? So my real purpose in life is to serve others, but I can't feel that until I raise up to a higher moral level. And I can't do that without taking a moral inventory. And what kind of moral inventory am I going to take? <laughs> a really searching one. Because I have buried my ethics behind my actions for years. Right? Listen, if you left your front door open, you're asking for it. Right? If I wander in and take your stuff, you left your front door open, man. You know I had a, 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 I had a car go flat, right? Tire go flat. I didn't have a spare. So we went around looking for a car that had a wheel that would fit my car. And we stole the wheel off the car, put it on mine, and went. We didn't leave my wheel, by the way. Now I have a spare. <laughs> Is that immoral? Hell no. You knew the chance you were taking when you drove into the city and parked your car without locking lug nuts your fault, not mine. I had a morality that was nebulous. It's changed, right? If you think of it as a fence to try to contain my living, my actions, it would change to engulf my actions so I always stayed within a certain morality. Today, I don't have that. Today, I have a solid frame, like a picture. And my morality doesn't hold me in like a fence it displays me like a frame right the frame doesn't hold the painting in the painting is created first 
And it sets me off. And I'm quite proud. I feel very good about myself now to have a morality that is set and that my actions stay within that. Okay, so I don't want to lose this. So what is all this? Why am I feeling this stuff then over and over, these, quote, resentments? Okay, so I was told early on, right, when I did my... I started as, in physics and ended up in theology, right? <laughs> Sounds crazy. But it's because I wanted to know the secret of what we used to call, all my hallucinogenic buddies, we used to call it the big wow, right? And eventually you're going to go, wow. And if you see, if you finally do enough peyote and tequila together or mushrooms and mushrooms go well with rum, by the way, rum and mushrooms or whatever you're taking, right? And then you said, or, or strawberry mescaline. Nobody remembers that? Ooh. It was powdered mescaline mixed with Nestle's Quick. Strawberries, Nestle's Quick. And you could mix it up and eat it and then drink booze and go, I see it. The big wow. Now I want to understand the big wow. So I went to, to physics, the University of New Mexico, and then I, went to, I was going to change to astrophysics because I thought it was way out there. So when you hear me talk about stars and string theory and stupid math tricks and things like that, it's because that's where I started looking for God, right? I wanted to find who was behind the big wow, how it worked. I knew God was connected, but I just couldn't find him. And my professors eventually went, you're in the wrong college. You are looking, we don't, we don't know anything here. We're guessing. We're guessing. And our best guess, our whole, as scientists, our whole idea is to take a guess and try to prove it wrong. And then if it doesn't prove wrong, we go, okay, keep using that until somebody else proves it wrong. That's how we work here. He goes, you need to go to the other side of town and go to the Jesuit college <laughs> where those brothers will beat the truth into you. <laughs> and my method of teaching the steps in Big Book is very ancient Jesuit style. Um, so, so at first I thought I was told you can control your feelings. That you decide what you're going to feel. Oh, I don't believe that. I can't make myself happy or sad or angry. It's you that do that to me. Right? Then I was shown, yeah, but here's, here's the reason. Because emotions are different from feelings. What? No. Two different words for the same thing. No. Emote means to what? To come out. So, as alcoholics, normal people emote the same thing they feel. Because feelings are private. Nobody knows them. But if you emote it through actions, facial expressions, words, whatever, communication techniques, you emote that feeling, others know it. So if I'm feeling joy, I smile, I light up, I emote joy. And you know I'm joyful. And if I feel happiness, which is comfort, right? I emote happiness, you know I'm happy. I had to go to the funeral for my sponsor. Uh, a number of people here went uh, for Jim Reedy. He was, he was just about to turn 93, and, and next month, both of us, we share the same month, so we sit at the medallion table and get our medallions together. Uh, he would have got 63 years of sobriety, right? I was sad. I was sad, you know? 
And, and occasionally I'd get a tear and it would just like escape on my face and I'd have to. But there were other, other people doing the same thing, right? I felt sadness. I emoted sadness. But as alcoholics, we generally don't do that until we start healing going through here. We feel something, we emote something else because we don't want anybody to know what we're feeling. So when I feel, say, fear, I generally emote anger. Then you don't know I'm fearful. Whereas a normal people, person is afraid, they emote fear. They go, I'm afraid. They say, you know, right? I'm afraid. Was that step and fetch? Was that too step and fetch it? I'm sorry. I was going back to like the Bowery Boys and Bela Lugosi. There's a ghost, right? You know. Right? But no, we go like, shut up. What? I'm afraid. Leave me alone. What? By the way, while it's in my brain, I know these are recorded in years and years after I'm dead, someone will listen to this, and they'll go, he mentioned Joe Biden last week, and Joe Biden used to stutter, and I think he was making fun of him, you know? Well, I wasn't. I was making fun of a politician. I believe all politicians should be made fun of. I don't care if they have one leg, three eyes, if they stutter or what, and they're fair game for everything because they are monsters. <laughs> but Tradition 10 allows me not to have any outside opinion, right? Opinion on outside things, so I really don't care. That's why I make fun of anybody. You know? To be best fitted. To be of service. Oh, there's God calling. I'll get, I'll get right back to you, sir. Um, the universal ethical principle is where I evenly love and serve every human being, whether I disagree with them or not. That's why Tradition 10 is so important. Tradition 10 is applicable to you personally. You personally should not have opinions on outside issues. Oh, man, that's the hardest thing. Well, if you want to get rid of anger, that might be the first place to start. Quit having opinions on all the stuff you see on TV or online, right? Start worrying about your real purpose because God pulled you off a bar stool and saved your life so you could separate others from death and misery, right? I know it's a, it's a crappy world out there. I know our own country here is going through all sorts of weird stuff, but we're not the first country to go through weirdness, right? So keep your seat and do your job. I'm talking to myself. Why, why am I doing all this? I'm going to end with the invisible column in a minute. But, but why do I have all this? Why do I have resentments and stuff? Well, it's fear. That's why it says a fearless moral inventory. What do I have to fear? Okay, so it's all in here. This is great. This will kill us, by the way. We have to do this. Why? Page 66. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Boom. Not an alcoholic life. Any human being, any life at all, either these words are right or they're not right. They're not partially right. If they were partially right over all these decades, they would have edited it. But it's not. It's 100% right. Okay? Even if it's not, pretend like it is. Right? Because it's worked for all of us to believe that it's all right. So it says, it is plain that a life, any life, any of the normies out there that have deep resentment 
that life does not lead to a faith that works. It leads only to futility and unhappiness. Meaning you can never do anything successfully and you're always uncomfortable. Angry. Discontented. Right? Irritable. To the precise extent that we permit these deep resentments, right, the feelings of pain that come over and over and every time I think of them, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, that's why I'm here. That's the only reason I'm here. That's why I help others. We have to be motivated. There has to be something. This business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. That feeling, that pain that we feel from resentments isn't fake. It's real. And it says, therefore, those people, we have given them the power to kill us. Holy moly. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the Spirit. There is no possible way to get to a faith that works. Faith, a relationship with a God of my understanding. There's no possible way to do that. If I cannot do that, I can't do these steps. Continued to take personal inventory, right? Which is for, again, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, so that we can get to thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Right? Those two are a result of four. Right? I cannot do it. If I don't have the sunlight of the Spirit, the insanity of alcohol returns, which is on page 37, inability to think straight, lack of proportion, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die, to die. If we're to live, we had to be free of anger. Be angry or die. That's your choice. That's your dilemma. If you're yelling at people, if you're yelling at your mate, if you're yelling at strangers, if you're gritting your teeth at traffic, if you're pissed off at this political party or that political party or this country or that country or, or, or you're mad at the uh, elementary school P.E. coach. God, I hated that guy. You know, I really hated that guy. He was my size, but he was Hank Hill, an old Hank Hill, right? And he, he humiliated me and belittled me all the time. And I was probably 10, Right? I already felt like crap, and yet he's grinding me every day. Hey, so I have the right to be angry. I was a child. <laughs> how, how do I have any part of that? Well, you do, man. Why? Because my instincts, even as a child, are driving me to do things, right? And here's what God gave us instincts, right? Let's go to the, let's go to the 12 and 12, because it says he gave us instincts for a purpose, Right? The creator, God. Creation gave us instincts for a purpose. Without him, we wouldn't be complete human beings. So our desires for sex, this, this whole step is about sex and money. What? Yeah, I know. Read it. It's awesome. It's all about sex and money. Why? Because it's about fear. Fear of what? Fear of insecurity. That we're not secure in what? Secure in companionship, personal relationships, love, sex. Right? Insecure in what? Material things. Stuff. 
money. The two things that we say on step three, I'll let God handle everything in my life except these two things, sex and money. Because God doesn't really know anything about getting laid or making a car payment. He's not concerned with that. That's my own stuff. But then we go to the book and we go, this is about 1% that you turned over and 99% of your life is sex and money and you're holding on to it. Because you don't think God cares about it. God does care about it. You know? I don't care what weird Puritan background this country came from, which is true, right? That said God doesn't care about those two things. But we deal with the God of our understanding. There's, I, I, I have my own personal beliefs outside of the book, but when I'm standing up here, I'm speaking of the God described in the big book in the 12 and 12. And that God is concerned with every aspect of your life. All right? And even we ask this question, is it selfish or not? That's all. So there's a lot to be found in here. So these, these desires, these instincts, these desires, it says the same thing, instincts, desires, for the sex relation, for material and emotional security, for companionship. Notice in the list of four, three of those are basically sex, right? For the sex relations, for material security, for emotional security, for companionship, are perfectly necessary and right and surely God-given. However, these instincts, so necessary for our existence, become cancerous. Often far exceed their proper function. If you don't understand what cancer is, it is not something that eats away at an organ until it's gone. It actually starts growing more and more cells, cancerous cells. It becomes bigger, a tumor. That's what happens with our instincts, our natural God-given instincts. They turn into these massive things that cannot be... That, that, well, here's what it says. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us. Imagine being driven blindly. Well, I don't have to imagine. I can just remember. Because we used to get really high and drive really fast and then turn off the lights. Because I used to live in the desert, man. You know, I lived out there where there were cactus and roadrunners. So you just hit it going 90 and go, turn off the lights. Are we all going to die? Maybe. I wouldn't live that way today. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us, dominate us, and insist upon ruling our lives. These are the instincts. You know, if you go back to Freud, he said there's two kinds of instinctual motivations, right? And almost all are sex, right? There's the life and the death. And he called the life uh, motivations eros, after the god eros, where we get the word erotic. And then he found that there were two different types of motivation in sex, pleasure and procreation. Either you want babies, and, and even if you don't want babies... You're attracted to the mate that'll give you the best babies, right? That's what Freud says. So men look for youth and fertility, right? Curviness and hips, and, and women are looking for like security and strength and provision and, and that kind of, that's, that's, that goes back to Freudian stuff. I don't know how much I buy into Freud, 
But keep in mind, when these things were written, women didn't even have sexual experiences. They were writing it. They were way ahead of their time. They were going, all of us are included in this. If you're an alcoholic, this happens to you, man or woman, at any age. This was so ahead of it. It's still ahead of its time, right? Our desires for sex, for material and emotional security, and for an important place in society, thank you very much, often tyrannize us. When thus out of joint, man's natural desires cause him great trouble, practically all the trouble there is. There you go. All your troubles. All right. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen not as a need for more therapy. Right? I'm not kicking therapy. Therapy can help stuff. But as an alcoholic, we need to look at the roots of our weeds first. The weeds that we can't weed out through these books, then you can go to outside sources. That's great. But first, do your work here, right? Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. When that happens, our great natural assets, instincts, desires, have turned into physical and mental liabilities. Okay, I'm going to give you the invisible thing and I'm out of here, the invisible column. Only because I know I'm late, but it, 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 just, it's so important. All right, so, so on page 65 in the big book, they give us three columns. I'm resentful at Mr. Brown. We'll just call him Bobby, okay, my buddy Bobby. Two, the causes, why uh, uh, I'm mad. Well, because he's like hitting on my wife and he told my wife about my girlfriend, you know, and, and I thought we had a, you know, we were friends, right? Bros before my wife, right? And, <laughs> and then, because I'm drinking, he's trying to worm his way into my position at the office. And he's supposed to be my friend, right? And so what does that affect? Well, of course, it affects my, self, my sex relations, my self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera. Fear, fear, security, fear, fear. Okay. And then it says, we say, what was our part in it? We turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. That's on page 66. Well, what's my part in, it, in, in, a, in a coach that berated a child, right? What's my part in it? How can I know that? I sponsored a woman years ago who had been a victim of rape. Now, oddly enough, in the United States, 60% of adult women believe they have been sexually assaulted, if not completely raped, and only about 30% little more, 32, 33% of men admit to sexually assaulting women. So there's a big gap. Either men don't know they're doing it or women are claiming more. And it's probably that the men just don't realize that that is sexual assault, right? Because we're animals. We're idiots. And, And I'm not making light of it. So I have a woman that says, I was raped by three guys in a park. What's my part in it? Well, your part isn't, isn't where you're at fault. Right? All the world's a stage, the bard said, right? And we, men and women, are but players. So you're a player in this horrible drama. This, this horror story, you're a player. You're the victim. You're truly the victim. That's your part. Well, how do I find my part? There's only way, one way to find your part, and it's on page 67 in the big book. It's an invisible column that you don't write, but you do. It's the true fourth column. 
It's what you do after it affects my, you do this, then you find, this way, then you find what my part was. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. If the grouch and the brainstorm, which was, how can I get back at that guy? How can I get, I'm thinking about it. We're not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. So we turn back to the list. Right, The three columns. For it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. Because we're looking at it as a hit list with a capital S. Right, A hit list. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoers of others, the wrongdoings of others, fancied or real, whether you really did it to me or whether I just thought you slighted me, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? Here's the key. We could not wish them away, pray them away, act them away any more than alcohol. So what do we do? Here's what we do. The invisible column that needs to be on your fourth step. This was our course. We realized that the people who had wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. took me a while to realize that coach hated my dad. I didn't even know he knew my dad. My dad had been a professional football coach. This elementary school coach hated the son of that guy. I didn't even realize that until I did a fourth step. Of course he hated him, right? This guy is a failed elementary school PE teacher. Of course he hates the college football coach. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, disturbed means to remove one's peace, one's ability to see where you belong in God's plan. It's actually a military term. To disturb means to invade, to remove the peace. We didn't like the way they did that, but they, like ourselves, were sick. So what do we do? We go through everyone on that list, and we ask God, that's a prayer, right? So we pray individually for each person on our fourth step. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, look that word up because it's not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. To show pity upon someone is not to belittle them. To show them love and compassion. Pity and patience. Patience. My understanding of patience is that that's God's time, not mine. And there is no time for God. God doesn't measure things in seconds and minutes and years. That's an illusion we use. So patience means to understand things happen in God's time. And I want to show that to the person I'm angry with. But I can't do it on my own. So I pray that God will help me do this. Will help me show them tolerance, pity, patience. That we would cheerfully, not begrudgingly, cheerfully, lovingly, cheerfully grant a sick friend. Can I treat... Now this is that higher level of morality. Right? This is treating people I don't like. This is the highest level of morality. Treating people I don't like with the same love 
and pity and tolerance and patience that I would show my friend who's sick in bed or my sponsor who was in the hospital and eventually passed away? Can I show someone who I believe did me wrong that same? No, I can't. I can't wish that. I can't make myself do it, but I can pray that I'm changed, right? And I'm still asking God, when a person offended, we said to ourselves, that means in the past or the present, we said to ourselves, wait, wait, this is a sick man or woman. How can I be helpful to him? Even if I hate him, how can I be helpful? It says we have to play the Good Samaritan all the time. God, save me from being angry Thy will be done. And I pray that for each and every person on that list. And then a forgiveness comes into my heart that I could not make happen on my own. And when that has happened, then I can look back and see the situation that caused my resentment from an entirely different angle, it says. Now I can see my part. Now suddenly, I cannot see myself objectively. It's impossible. The definition of subjective means me. But somehow God allows that to happen. The impossible to happen. Somehow 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 to infinity equals negative 1 12. How is that possible? I don't know, but it is. And the same thing here. When you look, That's just math. This is God. And all of a sudden, I can see my part in this and go, oh, I was afraid. I was afraid of how these kids would see me. I was afraid of him. I was afraid of my father. I was afraid of anything that had to do with sports because they were going to beat me with it. I, 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 I resented the fact that the coach caused all the kids to pick me last to play any games. And then when I did this, I realized, no, they picked me last because they saw that I didn't want to play, right? I was like, don't pick me, please, God, oh, please don't pick me. And then when I got picked last, I'd be like, oh, God, (laughs) right? That's my part. Okay, so we're going to go through that, but the last thing it says in here is it says, you don't have any more problems now. As an alcoholic working this, you have no more problems. How is that possible? Oh, it's on page 47 in the 12 and 12. A problem is something that needs to be solved. It comes with a solution that we need to find. If I have a problem, I need to go back to step one. Because I'm powerless. Over everything? Yeah, over my life. Well, but you have a problem. Yeah, I have to, ding, chop wood and carry water. Buddhist. I don't want to freeze to death. And I don't want to die. I need to chop wood and carry water. I need to do the duties. I can make the situations, the conditions, quote, problems worse by not doing anything. I can, I can control how bad they get by making them worse. But I can't solve any of them. Why not? Because of three, right? I'm powerless and God's going to solve them all. So it says here on page 47, it says... We thought, quote, unquote, conditions, meaning we're using the word conditions in place of another word. What other word? Problems. You're my problem, you're my problem, you're my problem, you're my problem. She's my problem, he's my problem. Right? 
I had a guy call me the other day. How's it going? Oh, everything's going this way and that way. Okay. But I know if I just get this one thing handled, everything else will be fine. And I, I sadly laughed out loud. I know I pissed him off, but I went like, you really believe that? You really believe that when you get one of these, quote, problems solved, another one's not going to fall in its place? That's life, man. That's every day. You got to learn how to do the ballet. You're a matador. So here's what it says. Is it says, we thought conditions or problems drove us to drink. And when we tried to correct these conditions and found that we couldn't, why couldn't we correct them? Because, remember, they have, these failings generate fear. This is 49, right? These things that we have inside, all these, these, these broken instincts. I know I'm over, I'm going to be done. All these failings generate fear, a soul sickness in its own right. Then fear, in turn, generates more character defects. Unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied. That's what drives us to covet the possessions of others, to lust for sex and power, to become angry when our instinctive demands are threatened, to be envious when the ambitions of others seem to be realized when ours are not. We eat, drink, and grab for more of everything. Fearing will not have enough. It goes on and on because it will never be satisfied. It demands, it says on page 60 here, that it demands... That we, that, that we provide more than, our, than, we're, than, we, than we have, than anyone has, or that we're due. There is never enough to us. It's never enough sex, never enough alcohol, never enough stuff, never enough security, never enough love. This isn't good enough. That isn't good enough. You just almost got there, but you didn't. Because I have a cancerous instinct that just keeps growing and demands more. Right? It demands more. So it says, when we found we couldn't to our entire satisfaction correct these conditions, our drinking went out of hand and we became alcoholics. Here's the answer of to how to never have a problem according to step four. It never occurred to us that we needed to change ourselves to meet the conditions, whatever they were. See, I don't have problems. I have conditions. Right? Okay, uh, I'm late on rent. I need money. Okay, that's a problem. Well, no, it's a condition, right? It's a condition. I can make it worse by not doing anything, but I can take action, but it's still God. I can do the chopping of the wood and the carrying of water, right? If I have a job, I need to take the next paycheck and apply it. Or, right, it, oh, that's not problem solving. That's just doing the next right thing. Um, by the way, that whole sentence is whatever the consequences may be. Do the next right thing, whatever the consequences may be. How do I change to meet a condition? Right? I don't like the way she's acting, even though I invited her to live with me, and now we live together, and she squeezes the toothpaste weird, and it's driving me nuts. Right? Is that a problem? No, it's an easy condition. So what do I do? I don't give a damn. Well, how can I do that? Well, it says right here, God changes us. I ask God to show me the same love and tolerance to all of you. See, the beautiful thing was I'm at that service, and I've lost a lot of friends in this program, and I hate it, and I'm, I'm, I'm overly emotional at those things, and not by choice. It's like it opens up, 
and I just start gushing with pain and sorrow. But so many other people there had known my sponsor longer and better than me. And so I couldn't hijack that sorrow and own it all for myself. I had to share it with all those other people. And it was a beautiful sight. And it was wonderful to have a whole room full of people that loved and admired this man even more than I. And suddenly the humility was on me and I became just a person in the crowd because the book says we're always trying to be the top of the hill or burying ourselves under it. We never think, this is in step four, never think of just being a man among men, a worker among workers, a friend among friends. But see, God put me there Tuesday night and I got to humbly share that memorial. And I pray every day that he'll move me to the back of the line so that I'm third. And that you're more important and God is the most important. And I'm sorry I went way over, but I'll be back with five next week. Doc Alcoholic. Please join me in thanking Doc one more time. All right, I'd like to introduce Megan for our secretary's report. Megan. Uh, hi, my name is Megan, um, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. <laughs> In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I have asked uh, Mattia to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as uh, recovered rather than uh, recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mattia and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Mattia. And this is a recovered statement. We're not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we're not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was a problem. The main problem of the alcoholic center is in his mind, rather than in the body. We're now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forties style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some uh, relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Uh, what we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above su suggest a 75% success rate. Could I please have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Um, now, could anybody who is in need of a sponsor please raise your hand? Wow, everyone's got a sponsor. Okay, great. <laughs> um, Oh, now we have some announcements. Sorry. Um, okay, so the Broward County Intergroup, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Broward County, Florida, if you'd like to get involved, there's the office hours and contact information. 
um, some volunteer opportunities. There's a planning... Oh, that's done, I guess. The Broward County Institutions Committee. Um, the business meetings are the second Saturday of the month. Um, there's all the dates. AA's Got Talent. Really fun night. It'll be Saturday, February 1st. So coming out. Um, so the 57th Annual Intergroup Appreciation Banquet, April 25th. There's info on how to get tickets and how to contact. Uh, Spring Fling Chili Cook-Off and Dinner. Uh, that's <laughs> Saturday, March 7th. And you can pre-register and book your room now for Fikipa. Um, that is June 5th through 7th. And this is our meeting, Alcoholics and God, Thursday night, 7.15. Um, please join us also Monday nights for the Big Book Study Meeting where the book comes alive. Fellowships at 6.30 and the Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the Little Red Book, and Big Book Dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15 and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you all next week. Thank you, Megan. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I would like to invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. And to those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father. Monday or next Thursday. Godspeed. Thank you so much, Doc. Heart is heavy, soul is thirsty, body is aching. I am desperately in need of restoration.
Keep on smiling, keep on smiling, baby. 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. For the first time in my life 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. Nothing could come The fog is lifted, see the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh man Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
tape. Got one man that just won't sell. 